uh, welcome to another exciting edition of Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast. I'm Andy Bannister from Solas, and I'm joined as ever uh, by my energetic, enthusiastic co-host, Christy Mayer uh, from uh, down the, from down there in London at Oak Hill College. Christy, how are you getting on today? <laughs> Doing all right, thanks. Gosh, what an introduction. No well, I try and produce new adjectives every time. That's my... That's <laughs> my... live up to, was it? Energetic and... and enthusiastic. Enthusiastic. Yeah, no pressure. No pressure. Well, hopefully there won't be too much pressure because we are joined by an amazing guest today. I'm sure keep us all in our toes for the next 20 to 25 minutes. We are joined uh, by uh, by Andrew Bunt. Andrew, welcome to Pep Talk. Hello, thank you for having me. And uh, so you are, well, you wear many hats, I know, but one of the big hats you wear, you are with Living Out. We've had lots of folks from Living Out on the show before, but you are, This I love this title, you are the Emerging <laughs> Generations Director. Uh, living out. So before we get into the good stuff, what is an emerging generations director? It's a good title, isn't it? I think my colleagues are quite jealous. They all have single word director titles. They want a double word title now. So um, so emerging generations, my responsibility basically is how do we make sure we're engaging with under 25s and those who are serving them? We're so aware that for that kind of generation, that demographic, questions of sexuality, gender identity are mm. so prominent, so real life in their own lives, the lives of those around them. We want to serve them well and help parents and student workers, youth workers, different people who are serving them uh, as they kind of wrestle with those questions. I struggle with the under 25 part because that sadly means that neither Christy nor I are, are, are technically emerging. But Neither before I, I uh, let, let Christy have at it with the first question, I should tell a little story here. Of course, you and I had an interesting story about how we met, didn't we? We met in a field <laughs> in Norfolk. This is in true. Fact, actually, we met at a shed in a field in Norfolk to be this is true. And, uh, oh, Christy is, Christy, when I told Christy that she's like really intrigued. So <laughs> tell us go on, I'll, let, I'll let you spoil I'll let you let it down gently. It's not quite <laughs> as exciting as it sounds. So what was going on? Why were we why were we in a share in a field in Norfolk or in it a show? Fairly exciting. Norfolk? We were at it a was, New Day, which is a large youth festival run by the New Frontiers Network of Churches, where both Andy and I uh, were speaking that day and thankfully someone introduced us over to lunch, which was lovely. Oh, nice. There were 8,000 young adults in a field in Norfolk. It was it was yeah. quite something, actually. Yeah. How was the lunch? Getting back to the lunch. Oh, I don't remember It was the good. I, I was there a week. I loved the food at New Day yeah. as well. When you were like, yeah. stay, well, I was going to say when you're staying in a tent, I was in a hotel this year. Don't tell anyone. Normally, when you're staying in a tent, to be catered for like that is wonderful. So That's a real yeah, I did. I did once speak at one festival, and I will not mention which one it was, and the, and the food was a little bit ropey. And one of the sort of highlights was one morning they served us sausages that had literally been cooked on one side and not on the other. Oh, gosh. Um, that was that was interesting. I thought it was a really <laughs> pun there, um, Andy. I was waiting no? for some kind of half-baked way. Um, oh, half-baked, yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh, dear, oh, dear. Anyway, oh, dear. it's a lovely segue <laughs> into the conversation <laughs> about emerging um, generations. Um, Andrew, what are some of the, the big questions that you've, you've come across that people in that age group are, are you know, coming up against at the moment? I think when it comes to kind of everyone working with sexuality and gender, part one thing just notable is how many are directly affected. You know, there's there's not a single young person who doesn't at least know someone at school who is identifying as as bi or gay or queer or question their gender in some way. Just the kind of prominence of these topics is so huge. And then I think, uh, I mean, various questions and what I was struck by at an event like New Day actually was the range of questions among, particularly that context was young people from a Christian background, some are really wrestling with the, how do I hold on to biblical truth and really love my gay and trans mm. friends well? Because actually, so aware of the assumptions people have about Christians and our attitudes on these things. 
and want to love well, which was kind of really encouraging to see a lot of young people really struggling with what the Bible says, actually. And two questions I've noticed are particularly prominent. One is, is it really fair what the Bible says? And the other is, is it really doable? Even if it was right, say, is actually possible for someone to live that out? And I was struck this summer at various youth festivals, those were particularly prominent questions that seem to be coming out. Yeah. Well, why don't we, why don't we start by, by pressing into, mm. into those for a minute? So perhaps, Andrew, perhaps start with that, that fairness one. And before we, by the way, before we do that, we should also say as well, um, and we will mention it again, I'm sure, you've written a, a new book uh, called, uh, called Finding Your Best Identity, which is looking at all of these questions. Mm. And uh, obviously, as we go, I suspect you may tell us a bit more about that. And we'll put a link in the show notes uh, so folks can come and check that out and, and, and buy a copy or buy 10 copies, buy a copy for friends. <laughs> um, but the whole fairness piece, right? So mm. help us think about that. So how do we engage with that? And perhaps particularly, say, for Christians who are thinking about wanting to share their faith with perhaps fellow students on campus, mm. that, you know, they're concerned about what happens if I get the LGBT question flung at me, maybe themselves they're struggling because back of their mind they're like is this really fair i know i'm supposed to believe it but I, i'm struggling how do we navigate that both in terms of our own faith but then also engaging with and showing the love of christ with those from the lgbt plus community yeah. with the fairness question i think the first thing actually is to realize what a good question and good thing it is to think through it's right that we should care about people being treated fairly actually so particularly engaging someone who isn't a christian or just who's really wrestling with a christian perspective on this i want to affirm all the goodness in the fact they're raising that as a point because yeah i agree we want actually a sense of fair treatment and treating people well and that's that's rooted actually i was saying a christian worldview and that's also a avenue we could explore with someone and then i think it's almost kind of asking further questions kind of just chewing that around with someone what they mean when they say it's unfair because of course what's interesting is there are inequalities we all recognize are normal parts of human existence based on where you're you're born different life experience and stuff there's all manner of inequalities which happen to us all the time and most of those we don't go when it's not fair and so it doesn't seem that actually when we say it's not fair we're talking about people being treated differently i think what we actually mean when we say biblical teaching and sexuality isn't fair is we think it denies people something they need and have a right to and that's often what people really mean behind that and so actually asking the question well in what way do you mean it's not fair often gets you to a place of, well, actually, it's not fair to deny someone their their need to receive love and to be loved and to love. And I'm going to go, I totally agree. And I'm going to go, I don't think the biblical ethic does that. I think it still leaves space for all of us to be loved and to love, because surely we don't want to reduce love just down to sexual relationships, actually. And so actually asking more questions, unpicking in what way do people think it's unfair, can open some really great opportunities to kind of unmask some of the unhelpful thinking of our culture, such as you're only going to feel loved if you're in a sexual romantic relationship, and show some of the really good news that the biblical perspective brings, things like a really high view of friendship, which is open to all of us and can be such a fulfilling and life-giving element of life. Mm, that, that's such an important um, element, isn't it? Friendship that's often... Um kind of sideline in some of these some of these discussions because of the cultural emphasis upon romantic relationships but I was just um thinking struck by what you what you said Andrew that um you know thinking about how um the bible gives us um so much so much more of a basis to receive love than we do through sexual relationships but I suppose you know one of the one of the kind of responses to that that I've come across as well you're a a heterosexual um, Christian, 
And so for you, there's still the possibility that you might actually get married. You're not saying that your whole sexual kind of orientation is, is wrong or sinful. Like how do you, and, and so, you know, to actually say that to somebody who, who, who is same sex attracted or gay, you know, to say that actually there's no possibility for them to enter into a, a sexual or romantic relationship. Um, how do you, how do you respond to that kind of follow up question to that initial question of, is this fair? Mm. <clears throat> One thing I'd want, if someone was saying it to me in those terms, I want to talk around, um, <clears throat> what it means for uh, in the language there was all of a sexual orientation to be sinful and, and talk around actually kind of distinction between um, orientation, what we experience and desires and action. That'd be one thing I, I pick up in a conversation yeah. Yeah. like that. But yeah, no, I think it is. And I think there it's it, uh, two things maybe to talk around. One is to talk around the purpose of sex. And this is where my colleague Ed Shaw has done such brilliant work of sex being actually about pointing us to the relationship between Christ and the church, sexual desire speaking to us about, Christ's desire for us, the relationship he wants to have with us. And therefore, in a sense, the end goal of sexuality being to experience that, not to experience the kind of uh, signpost on the way to that, which is sexual relationship, which means actually for any of us, whether it be because of our sexual orientation, whether it be actually we never find anyone to marry, for any of us who don't experience a sexual relationship in this life, it isn't actually missing out on anything that's the be all or the end all, because actually we still get to, as it were, jump straight to the thing for which we truly are made in the relationship where um, true life truly is found in a sense. So I want to kind of put that bigger picture. And then I would want to talk around the cost of discipleship that actually following Jesus for all of us is a costly thing. And Jesus used the language of taking up a cross. He, he uses the language, fascinatingly, of losing our life in order to gain life. And so sort of, this experience feels like losing life and yet in that, actually, we are experiencing true life, fullness of life, uh, an even greater life in a sense. And that does look different with different, different people, our different mm-hmm. contexts, different situations, our different experiences, different uh, patterns of desire will mean the way that a cost of following Jesus kind of manifests in our life will look differently for each of us. Mm-hmm. But it is there and should be there for any faithful follower of Jesus. The way it manifests in my life, in part, is a choice to be singing a celebrate out of faithfulness to Jesus. They look different from other people, but my life is no different than anyone else. It's just the gospel mapping onto my life in a different way. Mm. May I just come in very quickly before Andy does? I, <clears throat> I really appreciate what you said earlier about making that distinction between orientation and action. And partly I was asking that question, I was framing it like that intentionally, because that's often mm, kind of the yeah. misapprehension that, that comes up. So thank you so much um, for making that, because that's such a crucial element of, of this conversation for us as Christians. And then again, how do we then communicate the goodness of Jesus to others through through that? So thank you so much. Sorry, over to over to Andy. No, that's uh, that's uh, that's very very helpful. I think um, I think that, that one of the sort of sort of follow up questions I was gonna I was gonna ask uh, Andrew. Well, first, I was gonna say I think I think that cost of discipleship thing is really helpful, and I think one of the things I've I've really actually hugely appreciated from reading and engaging with material like yours, and you mentioned Ed's, you know, Sam Albury, uh, Rosario Butterfield. The list goes on of, of folks, Christians who experience same sex attraction, have written about about this in this area is that cost of subship piece because i i think it's frighteningly easy not to pay a price for following christ and i always come away from reading you know having re- re- you know read ed's plausibility problem the other week for the first time i came away actually profoundly challenged against truth okay where are the areas where i'm really sacrificing because if there aren't any i think it's worth asking one some tough questions yeah but 
what I'd like, one of the questions I sometimes get on when I'm sort of, you know, doing university kind of work or other contexts where I'm in, engaging with folks who don't, don't have a faith and these issues come up as they often do. One question I will, get, will occasionally get, I'd love to get your take on is this. Okay, in what way is the gospel good news for gay people? Um, of going, you know, because if you're not a Christian and you're mm. you're LGBT, in life's great, right? It's one big party. You can sleep with who you want and live with how you want. You make the choices that you want. Nothing's restricting you. And surely, then, if you become a Christian, suddenly everything has to change. All these restrictions come in, and all the rest. So, in what what way is the gospel good news for for gay people? Mm. What would you, what would you say? I love to, a question like that. To that. Well, I love that because it allows us to come straight back to Jesus. In a sense, why is the gospel good news to gay people? In many of the initial answers, it's the same reason why is the gospel good for any of us? Mm. And so it's a chance to talk about Jesus. Why did Jesus come? What does Jesus offer me? It's a chance to talk around the reality of my need for forgiveness of sins. And if I'm having that conversation with someone with very little church background, I'm not going to start actually with the reality of being created by a loving creator. I think often we're in this context of people don't see the need for forgiveness of sins because they have no sense of obligations that they might have failed in. So actually, I'm going to start not with problem with sin, but start with the love of the creator who's designed us. And doesn't it make sense that if we are created, and look at the world, it seems we might well be, it doesn't make sense that we have obligations to our creator. The problem is sin, salvation offered in Jesus. But then in that, not as a kind of you can get your ticket to heaven kind of thing, but actually, what if you are made for a relationship with a God who made you and who loves you and wants you to be in a relationship where you can be secure in being loved, in being delighted over. But when you make mistakes, which let's be honest, we all know we do, actually there's total and utter freedom and forgiveness in that. What if actually there's a relationship you're designed for, which might be a niggling longing we all have and that niggling sense there must be more to this. What if there is a relationship that actually would welcome you into something, uh, a relationship that does fulfill that niggling kind of longing? It's bringing it away from sexuality, in a sense, to Jesus and all the things that Jesus offers us in the gospel through forgiveness of sins, intimacy with God, restoration to the very relationship we're meant to experience. We have it now into eternity. Because really, in a sense, that in evangelistic context is where I want to get anyone full stop. And the sexuality stuff kind of becomes a bit of a, uh, <clears throat> not a sidetrack, it isn't important to talk about. But actually, the focus issue is Jesus, to the extent that sometimes I want to say to people, look, I know this sex stuff is complex and difficult, but if Jesus isn't who he says he is and didn't rise from the dead, it doesn't really matter anyway. So should we talk about Jesus? We can come back to the sexuality stuff absolutely if you decide Jesus is who he says he is, but that's kind of the center point to, to focus. And so I love a question like that because it's open door to talk about Jesus, how wonderful he is, what he offers us, how good life with him is. And that, at its core, is why the gospel is such good news for gay people too. That's such a beautiful response, Andrew. Thank you so much. I think that that also nicely leads us into um, a conversation that we started to have before we hit record, which was around the question of um, how do I find who I am? And this is this is one of the questions I think that is um, brought up in your in your book. Um, how? How do you go about responding to that question? How do I find who I am? You know, you have that niggling sense, that longing for a little bit more that you just mentioned. Uh, what's 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 the next step? How does one find who one is? I think it's helpful first just to be aware of ways that we answer that question without even realising it, and ways that is really mm -hmm. that our culture does that and preaches at us sometimes and certainly exhibits. And so, one really common answer is, "How do I find who I am? I let other people dictate it." 
that actually other people kind of make this evaluation of me based on how well or badly I do. And I absorb that as my sense of self. Or if we're honest, of course, often we don't really know what people actually think. So it's this assumption of what we assume they think mm. about us, we absorb as our sense of self. And that could be one of the reasons why for some people they get kind of perfectionistic tendencies or become a right workaholic, can't stop and rest and stuff. Because how to find who I am? Well, it's people have got to think well of me. So I've got to keep doing all this stuff. But then another problem message in our culture and the one being preached most loudly at us and the one that gets applied to sexuality most clearly is the idea that I get to decide who I am. Actually, no one else can say, only I can say. And I look inside myself at my feelings and my desires. That is the core self, my, my core self, my true self. And I need to embrace that and express that to be true to who I really am. And in our culture, we're told that our sexual desires or our internal sense of gender are the things that are most key about ourselves, are how we find who we are. Those both have some major problems. One problem for both of them is real pressure. On others' side, this is pressure to be the kind of person people will think well of, to live up to some kind of, kind of criterion. That's exhausting. And on either side, there's this pressure to look inside yourself in, let's be honest, the mess of feelings and desires we find and work out, wait a minute, which one is me? And you know, they're changing, they're conflicting sometimes, they're not clear. It's just huge pressure to work out who you are because only you can know, and yet that's really difficult to do. Which is why I think, again, a way the gospel is good news to gay people, to all people, I think we have a better narrative to bring, actually, of God decides who we are, that actually who we truly are, how we shape our sense of self, is dictated by what God says about us. And the best form of that is when we trust in Christ and receive identity in him, what God says about us on the basis of what Christ has done. And so how can we best start to answer that question? Actually, it's to listen to what God says about us, because that offers a truly life-giving form of identity. It takes the pressure off. I've not got to act in a certain way to get it, because it's based on what Jesus has done, not based on what I do. I've not got to kind of work out from this mess of stuff inside of me uh, who I actually am. I've just got to listen to what God says in his word and kind of receive who I am. I think it's a really good news story that we have to tell a, a world that's longing to know who we are, uh, and he's asking that question, who am I? It's good news that we can offer to people around us. So, Andrew, as we come towards the kind of top of the, the top of the show, we're almost out of time. Well, I suppose one last sort of very practical question I, I guess I, I would ask. Again, I think a lot of Christians I meet are quite nervous about engaging their friends who are in the LGBT community. Well, have you any advice on, on where to start if you've got a, a friend at work or if you're a university student, you've got a kind of classmate and stuff? Where Where's a good place to kind of ask gently sort of try and open up spiritual com com conversations? Because I'm presuming, hello, I'm a Christian, shall we talk about identity and sexuality? <laughs> Might just be a bit too far, too fast. But are there good ways that, that from your experience, are of perhaps just beginning to move the conversation to these kind of areas and, and approaching faith mm. conversations? Well, I think actually those, those initial steps of wanting to, yeah, start faith conversations, bring up the general topic with someone who's LGBT should be no different to anyone else, actually. And it's so it's so interesting, Christians, we we uh, have such kind of mental blocks or mental paranoia, maybe, around questions of sexuality and gender. And, and part of that's understandable. We've done badly in the past in the church, and we're very conscious of wanting to love people well. We're very conscious of some of the very complex, uh, good complex questions that people have around that. So I, I'm, I'm not insensitive to why we have that. But actually, you know, Funny enough, LGBT people are normal people with the same kind mm -hmm. of questions, desires, experiences we all kind of have in life. And so I think whatever we as an individual find usually works for us to connect with someone who's not yet a believer and to start that conversation, that would be where I'd be 
encouraging someone to start. Certainly not, as you say, yeah, not jumping straight in with um, sexuality stuff, particularly because the risk is that's what people expect because people so often outside of the church think that the gospel is kind of get your life together and Jesus might accept you, you might be able to come to him. Of course, the wonderful truth of the gospel is come to Jesus. He accepts you from where you are and then he helps you get your life together, as it were, from the position of now being a follower of him. And the risk if we jump in, starting from a question of sexuality or gender, say, is people are hearing a backwards gospel, which actually is why we want to get into Jesus as soon as we can. And Jesus is the center point from which everything else flows. So I kind of don't want to give us specific examples because I think it's whatever works for you normally to begin to connect to someone. Don't think of people as any different, actually, and take those same opportunities. Mm. Andrew, thank you so, so much um, for joining us this week. It's been an utter pleasure having you. Before um, Andy signs us off officially, um, where, can we, where can we get a copy of your wonderful book from? Um, so Finding Your Best Identity is published by IVP. So you can get it direct from the publishers or I think pretty much wherever you tend to get your books from. Love it. So, and as we've said, we'll put a link uh, in the show notes and uh, you can find your best copy of Finding Your Best Identity at... Uh, at the link. See what I did there? That was oh, nice. Right, good, exactly. Well, <laughs> it's back in the game. <laughs> there we go. Start a dad joke, end on a dad joke. Well, you've been listening to, uh, to Pep Talk. It's been great to have uh, you with us, uh, Andrew. Thank you for joining us. And uh, Christy and I will be back in two weeks' time with another episode, some more terrible jokes, hopefully a slightly more organised introduction, and, uh, and a new guest. So we will see you in two weeks' time. Thanks for listening. Bye.